Section six of Confessions, volumes three and four. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, volumes three and four, by Jean Jacques Rousseau. Section six. This life was too delightful to be lasting. I felt this, and the uneasiness that thought gave me was the only thing that disturbed my enjoyment. Even in playfulness she studied my disposition, observed and interrogated me, forming projects for my future fortune, which I could readily have dispensed with happily it was not sufficient to know my disposition inclinations and talents it was likewise necessary to find a situation in which they would be useful and this was not the work of a day even the prejudices this good woman had conceived in favour of my merit put off the time of calling it into action by rendering her more difficult in the choice of means thus thanks to the good opinion she entertained of me everything answered to my wish but a change soon happened which put a period to my tranquillity a relation of madame de varens named monsieur d'aubonne came to see her a man of great understanding and intrigue being like her fond of projects though careful not to ruin himself by them he had offered cardinal fleury a very compact plan for a lottery which however had not been approved of and he was now going to propose it to the court of turin where it was accepted and put into execution he remained some time at annecy where he fell in love with the intendant's lady who was very amiable much to my taste and the only person i saw with pleasure at the house of madame de varens monsieur d'aubonne saw me i was strongly recommended by his relation he promised therefore to question and see what i was fit for and if he found me capable to seek me a situation madame de varens sent me to him two or three mornings under pretence of messages without acquainting me with her real intention he spoke to me gaily on various subjects without any appearance of observation his familiarity presently set me talking which by his cheerful and jesting manner he encouraged without restraint i was absolutely charmed with him the result of his observations was that notwithstanding the animation of my countenance and promising exterior if not absolutely silly i was a lad of very little sense and without ideas of learning in fine very ignorant in all respects 
and if i could arrive at being curate of some village it was the utmost honour i ought ever to aspire to such was the account he gave of me to madame de varence this was not the first time such an opinion had been formed of me neither was it the last the judgment of monsieur masseron having been repeatedly confirmed the cause of these opinions is too much connected with my character not to need a particular explanation for it will not be supposed that i can in conscience subscribe to them and with all possible impartiality whatever m masseron m d'aubonne and many others may have said i cannot help thinking them mistaken two things very opposite unite in me and in a manner which i cannot myself conceive my disposition is extremely ardent my passions lively and impetuous yet my ideas are produced slowly with great embarrassment and after much afterthought it might be said my heart and understanding do not belong to the same individual a sentiment takes possession of my soul with the rapidity of lightning but instead of illuminating it dazzles and confounds me i feel all but see nothing i am warm but stupid to think i must be cool what is astonishing my conception is clear and penetrating if not hurried i can make excellent impromptus at leisure but on the instant could never say or do anything worth notice i could hold a tolerable conversation by the post as they say the spaniards play at chess and when i read that anecdote of a duke of savoy who turned himself round while on a journey to cry out a votre gorge marchand de paris i said here is a tray of my character this slowness of thought joined to vivacity of feeling i am not only sensible of in conversation but even alone when i write my ideas are arranged with the utmost difficulty they glance on my imagination and ferment till they discompose heat and bring on a palpitation during this state of agitation i see nothing properly cannot write a single word and must wait till it is over insensibly the agitation subsides the chaos acquires form and each circumstance takes its proper place have you never seen an opera in italy where during the change of scene everything is in confusion the decorations are intermingled and any one would suppose that all would be overthrown yet by little and little 
everything is arranged nothing appears wanting and we feel surprised to see the tumult succeeded by the most delightful spectacle this is a resemblance of what passes in my brain when i attempt to write had i always waited till that confusion was past and then painted in their natural beauties the objects that had presented themselves few authors would have surpassed me thence arises the extreme difficulty i find in writing my manuscripts blotted scratched and scarcely legible attest the trouble they cost me nor is there one of them but i have been obliged to transcribe four or five times before it went to press never could i do anything when placed at a table pen in hand it must be walking among the rocks or in the woods it is at night in my bed during my wakeful hours that i compose it may be judged how slowly particularly for a man who has not the advantage of verbal memory and never in his life could retain by heart six verses some of my periods i have turned and returned in my head five or six nights before they were fit to be put to paper thus it is that i succeed better in works that require laborious attention than those that appear more trivial such as letters in which i could never succeed and being obliged to write one is to me a serious punishment nor can i express my thoughts on the most trivial subjects without it costing me hours of fatigue if i write immediately what strikes me my letter is a long confused unconnected string of expressions which when read can hardly be understood it is not only painful to me to give language to my ideas but even to receive them i have studied mankind and think myself a tolerable observer yet i know nothing from what i see but all from what i remember nor have i understanding except in my recollections from all that is said from all that passes in my presence i feel nothing conceive nothing the exterior sign being all that strikes me afterwards it returns to my remembrance i recollect the place the time the manner the look and gesture not a circumstance escapes me it is then from what has been done or said that i imagine what has been thought and i have rarely found myself mistaken so little master of my understanding when alone let any one judge what i must be in conversation where to speak with any degree of ease you must think of a thousand things at the same time 
the bare idea that i should forget something material would be sufficient to intimidate me nor can i comprehend how people can have the confidence to converse in large companies where each word must pass in review before so many and where it would be requisite to know their several characters and histories to avoid saying what might give offence in this particular those who frequent the world would have a great advantage as they know better where to be silent and can speak with greater confidence yet even they sometimes let fall absurdities in what predicament then must he be who drops as it were from the clouds it is almost impossible he should speak ten minutes with impunity in a tete-a-tete -tete, there is a still worse inconvenience that is the necessity of talking perpetually at least the necessity of answering when spoken to and keeping up the conversation when the other is silent this insupportable constraint is alone sufficient to disgust me with variety for i cannot form an idea of a greater torment than being obliged to speak continually without time for recollection i know not whether it proceeds from my mortal hatred of all constraint but if i am obliged to speak i infallibly talk nonsense what is still worse instead of learning how to be silent when i have absolutely nothing to say it is generally at such times that i have a violent inclination and endeavouring to pay my debt of conversation as speedily as possible i hastily gabble a number of words without ideas happy when they only chance to mean nothing thus endeavouring to conquer or hide my incapacity i rarely fail to show it i think i have said enough to show that though not a fool i have frequently passed for one even among people capable of judging this was the more vexatious as my physiognomy and eyes promised otherwise and expectation being frustrated my stupidity appeared the more shocking this detail which a particular occasion gave birth to will not be useless in the sequel being a key to many of my actions which might otherwise appear unaccountable and have been attributed to a savage humour i do not possess i love society as much as any man was i not certain to exhibit myself in it not only disadvantageously but totally different from what i really am the plan i have adopted of writing and retirement is what exactly suits me had i been present my worth would never have been known no one would even have suspected it 
thus it was with madame dupin a woman of sense in whose house i lived for several years indeed she has often since owned it to me though on the whole this rule may be subject to some exceptions i shall now return to my history the estimate of my talents thus fixed the situation i was capable of promised the question only remained how to render her capable of fulfilling my destined vocation the principal difficulty was i did not know latin enough for a priest madame de varens determined to have me taught for some time at the seminary and accordingly spoke of it to the superior who was a lazarist called monsieur gras a good-natured little fellow half blind meagre grey-haired insensible and the least pedantic of any lazarist i ever knew which in fact is saying no great matter he frequently visited madame de varens letting him sometimes lace her stays an office he was willing enough to perform while thus employed she would run about the room this way or that as occasion happened to call her drawn by the lace monsieur the superior followed grumbling repeating at every moment pray madame do stand still the whole forming a scene truly diverting monsieur gras willingly assented to the project of madame de varens and for a very moderate pension charged himself with the care of instructing me the consent of the bishop was all that remained necessary who not only granted it but offered to pay the pension permitting me to retain the secular habit till they could judge by a trial what success they might have in my improvement end of section six recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey